Well, hey, it's uh, it seems to be conference week. I don't know if you've been paying attention to any of the stuff that's going on out there, but there are a lot of conferences like all happening right now. There are, and, and I, I've gotten so many like emails and you said, Hey, you know, in like, like your text when you were like, Oh, you know, this person's going to be, you know, at this one, I'm like, ah, oh, God, I want to listen to all of these people, but damned if I don't have meeting schedules. Of course. Yeah. Damn work in the way. <laughs> so, well, luckily like the ones that I was talking about, um, for the arc record conference, that's f- totally free. I probably still register for it. Uh, they're all, they are all being recorded so you can watch them. Oh, good. After good. the fact. Uh, and, and I, so I'm going to be speaking at a conference tomorrow, <laughs> and it's the Advancing Computational Design Conference, which got rescheduled like two or three times this year, uh, obviously, for everybody knows why. Um, they they eventually kind of decided to be, that it was going to be virtual, and I think that was painful for them. But um, looking forward to that, I'll be presenting on how to get uh, leadership and internal buy-in on computational design tools for various reasons um tomorrow morning and and uh there's a lot of great speakers at the advancing computational design conference so um i don't remember if it was free or not but um i'll see what i can find out maybe we could put something in the show notes but the one that i watched yesterday that i was messaging you about was the genie gang lecture for the arc record innovation conference and but there was also um some other great lectures too so we should probably put the link to that in the show notes. But um, David Adjay, he spoke yesterday, and Frank Gehry is going to speak today. So they did bring in kind of um, some big names. And what I thought was interesting was that Jeannie Gang's lecture as a keynote speaker, it wasn't like really high level. It wasn't. It was. It was about what they are doing in their practice, which I thought was pretty cool because it was more like because the AIA conference didn't happen this year, I'm used to kind of thinking about it from that mindset, which is like, and now we're going to talk about how great architects are and we're going to, you know, get get into some of the details about what the profession is struggling with. But it was, you know, this was more MDC style, which was about the work that they're doing. And I thought um, it would be cool to talk about hers for a minute because it's it's the main one that I caught. I caught a, just a couple minutes of David Ajay's and Thomas Pfeiffer's uh, I, I need to go back and watch those because Thomas Pfeiffer was talking about the museum in Poland that he's doing or or is done. It's almost done, I guess. Um, and then David spoke about a bunch of his projects as well. And they seem to be really well received just by kind of skimming the chat because attendees can do a live chat while it's going on, which is pretty cool. And um, I'm sure that that just stays there. If, even if you're watching it afterwards, you can kind of catch up on what people were kind of reacting to during the the thing, but, uh, she had a, a pretty cool idea behind hers. So I thought maybe we could take a couple minutes to talk about that. Uh, sure. That would be I cool. mean, yeah. Cause I, you, you basically said, all, you're going to have to catch me up. <laughs> exactly. I mean, my, mine's only going to be reactions from what you say, like, Ooh, ah, yeah. cause I unfortunately have not had a chance to, to take a look at it or catch the recording. When you had sent me the text, I was just like, Oh man, I know. Is it do door contacts and miscellaneous hardware and ratings and things like that. Does that really, the glamorous life of an architect? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Let's see. What do I want to do more? Yeah. I I think the choice is obvious, but you made the right choice. You, you, you stuck with your team and you, you, you picked the right hardware. Exactly. Yeah. 
So, all right. So her main thesis was that um, architects should act at the urban level a lot more and think as urban designers. And she said, if you, and I think a lot of this context is coming out of her hometown of Chicago, where they do a majority of their practice. Obviously, they have national and international projects as well. But she was talking about design kind of at the block by block level, not not big, big urban design, right? But kind of manageable urban design and really talking about how your project basically ripples out and affects its community. So can a good building change a neighborhood, right? That's kind of the thesis behind this. And and one of the stats she threw out was like, if we started to think about this at more of a block by block level, there's the, the ratio is one to 3000, at least in, in her demographic area there. So it's our geographic area. So it was one architect for every 3000 people. Hmm. So if you think about it kind of on those terms, I mean, we're pretty well positioned and, and well trained to be the, the type of role that can kind of look at it. At, this is kind of like a powers of 10 kind of a thing, right? It's like, right. how do you zoom out? How do you get beyond your project? How do, how do you get beyond your property lines to really think about the neighborhoods and the communities that could be affected by your project rather than just what's happening on your site? So I thought that was a pretty interesting thesis. I mean, it's something that we're talking about a lot in our practice, which is, you know, if our mission is to make our communities better, how are we measuring that? Uh, because if you just simply measure it by the one building or what happens in the one building, are you really measuring community impact, right? And I think right. that's a totally valid question that we all should be asking. If we really think that architects can change the world, are we going to do it inside the property lines or are we going to let it get outside of the property lines, Right. So right. it's a it's a a really great thesis. I thought it was really great timing, especially for some of the thinking that we've been doing in our practice, um, because I think there's lots of ways you could measure it. Um, but like like she she talked about, they did this fire station, and then while they were doing this fire station, basketball courts popped up next to the fire station, and some new housing went in. So clearly, it became right. kind of this center of activity because of one new project, or maybe it's one rehabilitation, or or something, um, it starts to kind of create momentum, right? And property values could go up, pride could go up. These are things that you could actually kind of measure by doing surveys, you know? Mm -hmm. well, I mean, one of the interesting things that we've worked on in the past are when we do renovations to, you know, say there's a, an older school uh, within a community and, you know, it's kind of had like child population kind of like ebbs and flows. And so now they're on a... Uh, on a flow side of things and revitalizing it, you know, bringing it into the, you know, school of the 21st century type direction. You know, there aren't very many social services or recreational services or things like that in the adjacent community to help serve that community. And a lot of times we've looked at things like adding a rec center to or utilizing the school gym and some of the school facilities as a after hours, yeah, like you know, recreation center. And thing, exactly. And, and even community-based health centers within the school, mm -hmm. things like that, you know, offering up opportunities for, you know, health care at the school for underserved for community. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. For underserved communities. Mm -hmm. And and so those are, I know, in some cases, baby steps, but they are baby steps that, like you said, lead to other things. You know, you see this like, oh, there, you know, this particular project that we're working on now. I mean, the development that the hospital is doing around the community, you know, it's 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 seen its ebbs and flows as well. You know, it was 
you know, the historic campus of the hospital and, you know, located in the core heart of Baltimore, seeing its, you know, economic decline. And what it's helping is elevate the area around it by being spur on more development around the area, trying to pull in more development around like healthcare, uh, bringing in businesses. Then, then, you know, you start to see, okay, so now you've got the hospital. Then you've got like, you know, almost like these doctor's offices that pop up around hospitals. Then, you know, you start to see, you know, small clinics or other businesses that serve those areas. Then, you know, in this particular case um, in East Baltimore, there's now a community park. Now developers are actually investing in, you know, some of the housing that's around there to offer multi in, multi-levels of income, mm-hmm. you know, housing and things like that. And so, you know, the one project may be one project, but it is kind of that impetus, as you said, to the broader thing. And so it's it's good that this is a conversation that they're having that we all are having. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting, too, is like kind of the next level of her presentation where they actually talked about the work they're doing kind of proactively with their cities and their neighborhoods, uh, working with mayors to get kind of, you know, demographics, crime mm-hmm. rates, uh, looking then kind of, again, zooming out kind of powers of 10 type stuff and doing diagrams and mapping of cities. And obviously, you're going to be able to identify locations of opportunities. You're going to be able to identify locations for retrofits, you know, where you could turn this building into a community resource um, and right. looking for areas of, you know, low lighting. Where where can they reduce right. crime? Because often, you know, a, a big concern is, is or a, a way to address the big concern of crime is to put in these giant LED floodlights, right? Which are just garish. They're they're always the right. wrong color yeah. temperature. So instead, kind of like coming up with maybe their prefab design solutions or design ideas around parasols and lanterns, and you know, creating um, environments that people want to hang out in because they're safe, right? By creating kind of this level of safety, but they're also beautiful and they become an amenity for the community rather than just like a giant floodlight, right? That just nobody right, wants right. to be be around because it's it just doesn't feel right, right? So they did a bunch of, they kind of partnered with, well, they did partner with the city to basically be proactive and do these studies and show the city what's possible. So they served the city, right? Like they turned into this, it, it wasn't about them. It was about how can we make our community better? And then based on some of the things that they proposed, the city actually released RFPs for that stuff and then hired architects to to solve those problems, right? Based on actually seeing that those studies could produce results, right? Because the city wants to reduce crime rates, for instance, right? right? right. So I thought that was pretty cool because basically they're helping identify, they're not even doing it to get the work necessarily, but they're doing it to make their communities better realizing that there's probably enough work for everybody. Um, so pretty cool, pretty cool tactic to kind of go in and, and do that uh, and and make their communities better. Well, it's also good that, you know, lectures like this expose the architectural community in to just seeing the ideas of other architects, you know, say, oh, hey, I'd like to do that in my community or, hey, I live in that community. I'd like to get involved. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Or and and think Think bigger than yourself. I thought it was a really inspiring yeah. kind of message that was that was going on there for sure. 
And then the last thing that, you know, she actually talked about a few projects and how a building could be a good neighbor, like thinking about your building that way where they, they were, she was talking about the carve tower that's on the high line in New York and how they basically challenged the zoning laws because the zoning as prescribed was, um, it was not good for the, for the neighborhood. It was, Mm. and it, because it's old and it, it didn't take all of this stuff into account. So they basically totally challenged it and inverted the existing kind of zoning to make something what they considered was better for everybody. And they showed via diagrams and data, um, and then that, that it could serve that location better with this other type of zoning. And they said it, it took quite a bit of work, right. To get it through Mm. there. But I thought that was interesting. Um, so anyway, the the carve tower, it looks like an interesting kind of case study for this because it really was about being a good neighbor to its its uh, direct context. And then the last one um, that I thought was cool was they, you know, doing it themselves. So on their office, um, and again, kind of taking this back into this block by block micro urbanism idea that that she presented in the beginning was to something that they did on their building was they put a green roof on their own building and they call it the eco roof. And they were pretty strategic about placing plant species from the region, doing Mm -hmm. bird safe glazing, creating places, you know, for beehives so that they could um, attract insects and produce their own honey. And, and what was cool about it was out of this, you know, kind of amenity that they made for their own, group of people to do some R&D and kind of understand the ecology that can be created on roofs. They mm-hmm. do a data blitz every year where they actually ha- bring in scientists and do they, they measure the soil microbes, they measure the number of types of insects, they, they uh, are, and then they're charting all of the, the growth of the taxa over the years, um, which then kind of impacts air quality in that location, right? They ha- they've installed these purple air sensors to measure air quality. So it's not just like, is the air getting better? I think so, right? It's like they're, they're measuring it. Um, but their, their goal is to influence their neighbors, right? So that, so that their neighbors want to put in a green roof. And they're basically showing through the data the benefits of it to help make the case of why others should do it as well. Um, and they're seeing the activity and they're seeing kind of the excitement around this and it's just on display based on you know their maybe it's maybe it's their location maybe it's the group of people who are in that area on a day-to-day basis um but but their goal is to kind of like you know good ideas spread right so how can we prove it ourselves put it on display and then have others you know start to build off of that and maybe create a green roof corridor that spreads down the streets and and then it starts to kind of exponentially allow those ideas to to make an impact out there in their community. Super cool, right? I mean, it's yeah, like, wow. Absolutely. So did you, because as you're explaining it to me, my head is just flooding with just like imagery and ideas and things like that. I mean, I'm assuming that as you were watching it. They had a lot of beautiful diagrams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. It was great. And just, and and just the... The image evoking, you know, kind of like imagination evoking. Yes. Just commentary of it. And just, you know, proving or providing um, raw data so that people really kind of know, you know, hey, this this really does work. This can work. This is what, you know, we should be doing. Yeah. 
Those are those are I, all pretty pretty fantastic. I think what's special about it is that they're not just talking about it, and it's not just right. presenting ideas. They're they're actually doing it. They're doing it on their own work. I mean, I, I should say they're doing it on their own building, <laughs> and they're doing it in their work. Um, and obviously, this presentation was kind of tailored around this this larger idea of micro urbanism and different ways that you could strategically go and and go after that, but. Because those buildings do other things too. I'm sure that you could present on many other angles. But in this particular case, I felt like it was really inspiring about how architects can make impacts in their communities if they think bigger than their footprint of their building that that their clients are building. So pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh... Yeah. Well, anyway. and the good thing is, yeah. good thing is, is that other architects are doing it as well. Yeah, and we should put we should put the link to this in the show notes so that people can check and check watch this themselves. Uh, but I thought it was it was pretty cool, pretty inspiring. So I think that's all we have time for in this one. But uh, that was that was a uh, definitely highly recommended from me uh, from my point of view. I love it. Yeah, we'll follow the show notes and watch the. Uh the lectures.